1: Hello, and welcome to The Wealth Stream with Tim Scannell from Hightower Great Lakes. Today, we're going to be talking about downsizing in retirement. Good morning, Tim. How are you?
2: I'm good. How about yourself? Everything's good here. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. We are well into 2019, and we're going to be talking about downsizing in retirement. What is the main driver behind doing this podcast today?
2: The main driver is that we focus a lot of energy on doing all the technical quantitative analysis for clients. And I think that's how people perceive financial planners mostly. And I wanted to do this podcast really to talk about some of the softer planning items we focus on. And that really ends up being almost half of what we do. So I thought this would be a good example of that. Plus also I think it's just because I'm getting older, I'm getting more and more clients who are asking for help with this topic.
1: Got it. All right. Where do we start today?
2: Well, I think, you know, just to go back and talk a little bit about our normal process As certified financial planners, you know, we're a team of CFPs, uh, CPAs. We follow the certified financial planning processes when we do planning. And I think that's what a lot of people think about when they think of going to or talking to or working with a financial planner. We sit down with the client. We gather a lot of qualitative and quantitative information, information about goals. Then we take that and we try to create a number of scenarios and analysis for the client that's very specific to them, Mm -hmm. eventually coming up with a plan, or I would say a course of action after a couple of meetings, and then fully implementing that plan, developing the plan, determining kind of who's responsible for this and that, you know, the client or us, developing a way we're gonna monitor the progress and update it. And again, I think that when people think of financial planning or think about working with financial planners, they tell me they think about those types of processes. And you know, we've talked in a number of different podcasts already about how we use that process for succession planning or exit planning for businesses mm-hmm. or you know, creating family meetings, charitable planning, and things like that. What I think we do beyond all that, which I know clients really appreciate because we do a lot of client surveys, is our, we have a unique approach to the planning process that adds an additional level where we focus on what we call transition points. And downsizing is one of those transition points. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think that's a major step for anybody uh, in their lifetime when they have to focus on, okay, this is great while we had the kids here. This was great while we had these other things that we were taking care of. But now it's time to kind of focus on just us, the empty nesters or, or whatever that looks like. That's a big change.
2: Exactly. You know, We spend a lot of time and we have a lot of communication with clients really talking about are they on track for success? And success might be retirement, might be estate planning, saving for a house, etc. When it comes to downsizing, that's a really important part of the conversation. I guess I would say like the next step. We'll ask a client, are you getting the maximum return on life for the money that you have? I think a lot of people we meet with, a lot of articles I read about in financial planning talk about the end game and accumulating for that end game. And that end game is typically retirement. But if you're not enjoying it, you know, even prior to and in retirement, you're certainly not getting the best use of your money because the money is really there to serve you, not vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds good. Yeah, so when we look at transition points with clients, we'll focus on things like marriage or second marriages, children's marriages. We look at things like education expenses, saving for retirement or what we call work optional dates. And we also have spent a lot of time recently. And I guess this is probably one of the reasons, one of the also additional motivation for talking about this topic is I think as I'm getting older and 32 years into the business, I'm getting a lot of clients asking me about their aging parents. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the downsizing conversations we have aren't just with our clients, but also helping our clients with their aging parents help them downsize because it's a very intimidating topic. It's one that I think people really push off because it's hard to address.
1: Yeah, absolutely. How do you help them address that with their parents then?
2: I think the number one thing, like in all the planning we've talked about, is downsize means a lot of different things to everybody. I should say it means something very different to everybody. I'll get into it a little bit that my wife Nancy and I, we went through a whole downsizing process and we found out the concept is very different for both of us. So we each had our approach and thoughts and how we were going to do it. And I think if you Googled it, it'll just say the word downsize means to make smaller. And I think that works out great. You know, when you're cooking, like I was cooking for 40 this past holiday for my family Mm. and 15 for Nancy's family. And so you have to mix and match and double and reduce recipes. And I think downsizing works for that pretty simply, but It's much, much harder, as you can imagine. And I know when people have gone through it, when you're talking about downsizing your whole life, it's an overwhelming task.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, most people think of it as downsizing. Okay, we got to get a smaller house because we had four or five kids and we don't need a four bedroom home anymore. It's just the two of us. And there's a lot more to clean, so on and so forth. But you brought up a great point with the food. It's so funny because my wife and I were... What's called family teachers at Boys Town. And we helped to raise about 70 kids. At any given time, we would have roughly 10 or 11, maybe 12 children in our home. And we did that for 12 years. And so she was cooking for 14 to 15 people every night, or we were. And was, she was the main cook, but I got to run the barbecue. So that's good. We would cook mass quantities of food. And what I found him is that it was a habit, right? Cooking that much and doing that much was a habit for us, so once we left that position family teaching, we had our two own biological children, and then my wife and I, we moved into a house, and it was just the four of us, but my wife was still in that mode to cook a ton of food, so we were cooking double to triple what we needed every night, and we had tons of leftovers because we just couldn't get out of that mode, it was a habit, and I think that that really affects people you've been doing something or you've had this home for 20, 30 years, not only is it a habit to just know where your stuff is and how you want your home, but the thought of downsizing something like that, a home compared to just cooking less food can be overwhelming and and monumental. And then there's the emotional side of things too. I I think it would be a kind of a hard conversation to have in a lot of ways.
2: It, It really is. And you're absolutely right. I will tell you when I talk to clients or just people asking me about it is There's oftentimes a number of different assumptions that I think people walk into the process with. And, you know, one is I'm looking for carefree living. I'm just trying to simplify. All you have to do is go to Barnes & Noble or go to Amazon.com and type in simplify. And there are just thousands of books on the topic, right? Another assumption that I think people make, and this is the harder one because it's not always the case, is that somehow when we downsize, we're going to free up a lot of cash. You know, we're going to sell hmm. maybe the big house and, and get something smaller and simpler. And as I'll get into it with my own example, that's not always the case. I also find people think, okay, we're just going to get rid of everything. And my kids are going to want most of it. And I <laughs> <tell> you, <laughs> with experience, they don't want any of it. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, all you have to do is read articles about it and they'll confirm this yeah. next generation. Not that our generation wanted our parents' stuff, but This next generation for sure does not want our stuff.
1: Yeah. Again, the next generation is usually in a smaller place because they're starting out, right? And so now we're giving them clutter is what we're we're doing here. No, take this. It's a family heirloom that I bought you know, 10 years ago. No, it's not a family heirloom if you bought it 10 years ago, dad. I don't want that. Okay. Then they got to face reality that even though you think it's kind of special to you or they grew up with it, doesn't necessarily mean that they're emotionally attached to it and they want to, you know, oh, I'd love to have that. <laughs> it's kind of a can be a slap in the face sometimes.
2: Oh, exactly. No, I have a recent example of a client where they're uh, working with the parents, and parents are moving into assisted living, and there's a house or actually a condo. So they had downsized once before mm-hmm. to a smaller place, but they also had a second home. So it was duly uh yeah. two completely different projects because the condo really wasn't the first house, so it didn't have all the emotional attachment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to the kids. But the second house, the lake house, did. The lake house proved to be a much more difficult, much more emotional process, I should say. Yeah,
1: yeah, I can imagine that for sure. A lot of yeah. a lot of good memories and family times at a cabin compared to just a... I mean, houses have good times too, but we, we know that when we're on vacation, those memories seem to stick with us a bit more.
2: Yeah, and so when we talk about the process... We go back to, I think, what I learned probably in middle school or kindergarten, but, you know, the who, what, when, where, and how. So we have a series of checklists, but they all kind of focus on that, you know, who is going to be responsible for what's going to happen and when is it going to happen and where is it going to go and then how. But specifically, we work typically with kind of a five-focus five, five focus checklist, I and mean, it's actually the same checklist that Nancy and I went through when we downsized about a year and a half ago. So we... okay. We lived in Chicago, and then we moved about 22 years ago to Valparaiso, Indiana, and the house that we raised our five kids in was bigger than we needed. Five kids were all around the country. I have two in California, two in Chicago, and one in Milwaukee, and we just found that the house was just too big, and they weren't coming back. I think that's a common theme, too, is that a lot of times parents and grandparents are chasing the kids or tracking them because Mm -hmm. they're not necessarily always coming back Mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. The first step, we always call it goals like people are very, very personal. So for example, Nancy and I, we had different goals. So for me, I was looking to, you know, I'm I'm a recovering accountant. So I'm looking Mm -hmm. to lower monthly expenses, see if we could possibly pull some equity out of the bigger house and move something smaller. Nancy was much more, she wanted to be more downtown Valparaiso so we could have a life where we could walk more as opposed to more of a subdivision maintenance. I am not a handy person. Gotcha. <laughs> so I've been looking for 30 years to figure out a way to reduce maintenance. <laughs> and we did. And I'll say that we kind of walked through our goals as a first step before we did anything. And that really helped us narrow down and create a plan. So for us specifically, we made our own list, we put together our goals, and we ended up selling the larger house and building a much smaller house instead of a townhome or condo that was downtown Valpo where we could walk to the restaurants and walk downtown, walk to Valparaiso University, go to the basketball games and things like that. Again, that was a plan very custom to us based on our specific goals. Mm -hmm. And again, point number one is goals are very personal and you really need to talk to everybody involved to make sure you know what everyone's goals are.
1: Yeah, exactly. That was the thing that just kept running through my head when you're talking about these different things communication, communication, communication. You've got to be able to put those things out there, what you're looking for. Because like you said, your ideas were different from your wife's ideas up front, but you guys found a great compromise between what you were looking for and what she's looking for and kind of getting all of your goals accomplished. Even if some of them weren't 100%, it was enough to where you were making a difference and you were happy with that compromise and so was she.
2: Exactly. That gets to the second point, which is, Be prepared for a lot of trips down memory lane. Mm. We were married in 1985, so we have a lot of stuff, right? We have five children, and we've retained a lot of their stuff. And you just have to be prepared as you're going through it that a lot of these, the things you have are going to create a lot of memories, some good, some bad, because that's what stuff does, right? Yeah. And the other part of that, too, is, and I've seen this with clients and friends, and we experienced it ourselves, you cannot take it personal. When, when nobody wants that stuff that you're sentimental about. I mean, yeah. that, that's a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other part of that too is the decision about, well, do we just do it slowly or do we just kind of rip the band-aid off? Hmm. And everybody's different. Some people move faster than others. We moved relatively fast, but that's kind of our nature and how we've done things in the past. I have clients who might take a year or two to figure it out, and that's totally fine. You just have to go at your own pace.
1: Yeah. I think it's whatever works best for you financially is one thing. So it, it is not a hindrance. It's not a burden to you. Uh, but at the same time, being cognizant or being aware of the other person, the spouse, their feelings, their emotions, because they may be more attached to things than you are or the, the building itself, the house itself. And you've got to give them time because I think that if you try to rush them through things, then there's there can be resentment, there can be a lot of frustration or anger, and you don't want that going
2: into the new house. Exactly. And that gets to the third point is, and this might just be me because I'm an accountant, you really have to have a list. You know, We Mm. broke it down to items we think we definitely need. So there were certain documents, photos, files, possessions. We found a couple of pictures that had Post-its on the back that one of our kids had put her name on, saying, "This is mine." <laughs> uh, I don't know if it meant mine when we die or just mine whenever. Yeah. But those are the things we decided we would keep, right? Yeah. There's also items you'd like to keep, but maybe you don't necessarily have to. I had a Bavarian mug collection that I got for a wedding gift, and. I have to be honest, I hadn't used it for 30 plus years, but I thought, oh, I really want this and eventually decided I better get rid of it. So gotcha. Yeah. There's going to be this list of items you want to keep, but really you probably shouldn't. Yep. It's also a great opportunity to donate. We got involved with a lot of local charities. We found there was a lot of charities who said, nah, we don't want that. Mm-hmm. But they were able to take a lot of things, furniture, clothing. A lot of things that helped other people that our kids didn't want that we weren't going to take with us because we were moving into a smaller place. Yeah, absolutely. And then you end up with this last list of just treasures for the garbage, we call it. Um, <laughs> and it's hard to watch. One of my children had years and years of volleyball trophies and things like that, Bridget. And, you know, there was four or five boxes left. And I think she went through them and picked a photo and that was it. Mm-hmm. So you can't take it personal, just saying.
1: Yep. No, that's that's it. You know, and especially parents' pride, right? We're, we're so proud of our kids' accomplishment. Well, what do you mean you don't want all these medals and ribbons and trophies? I'm not
2: going to display my high school years. I'm 30. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. It's, and by
2: I, the way, I mean, the Boys and Girls Club, YMCA, race directors, they like to take those old trophies and recycle them and they oh, use them. So nice. it's a good place to send them off. I did not know that. That's a great tip. Yeah. They appreciate that. All right. And then I guess finally, I would say it's important just to stay focused and really don't go it alone. I think that we were really helped with family, with friends, neighbors, charities. The Salvation Army was very helpful in helping us organize. These are the things that you can keep. These are the things you shouldn't, et cetera. So those would be the five areas that I would say are important. Mm -hmm. Set your goals, make a plan. Be prepared for the emotional part of it. Definitely make your lists and, and get rid of things. And then just keep focused and, and really don't go it alone. Like Just for example, when we were thinking of downsizing, we weren't really sure whether we wanted to really downsize to a condo, to a townhome. We hadn't really uh, lived in a place with shared walls for 30 years. So We mm-hmm. weren't really sure. We actually rented for a year just to test it out and decided that it was great but we didn't want that so we ended up building a small house because we couldn't find a smaller house that was relatively new in the area we wanted got it and we we worked with realtors worked with builders a lot of research online we did not go it alone and don't be afraid to test things out
1: yeah i I love that part you know testing things out because again getting into a condo you think no maintenance or low maintenance, I don't have a yard to cut, like, we're gonna be able to spend more time going out and having fun and and so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden, you've got neighbors that are banging on the walls, uh, and they are or they're, you know, there's just too much noise, you're too close together. And that's not something that you're used to. And it's not something that you like. And so rushing in without that testing period, like you said, you rented for a year, which is a fantastic idea. You just don't know, you know, it's nice to be able to try something on before you Commit, especially on a home, that's a very long term commitment.
2: Yeah, I think the theme that I really talk about with clients when they're in transition points is to beta test or just test things out. Mm-hmm. I have a number of clients just on a separate topic deciding, okay, I'm retired. Do I move somewhere warmer? Do I rent somewhere warmer? Do I buy? And we always, I always find that if people beta test or just test different things out, You'll have more success Mm long-term. It may take a little more time to make the decision, but I think the decision will be a better one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so you went through this list of five. Is this a
2: list that you have on your website someplace that the listener can go and download and just kind of look through? Yeah, if they go to our website, you'll find there's a series of white papers. And we actually I put together a white paper last year. When we we're when we Nancy and I had finished this process, and there's a checklist in, right in there. so definitely go to the website and download that. Nice, nice tool to have. yeah and and I guess I wanted to leave today with the statement that we find clients' goals and dreams change constantly, and we call them transition points, and transition points are maybe you're changing jobs, you're looking to retire, working with aging parents could be anything. And that's really where the value of a financial planner wealth manager and advisor like our team really adds value. It's, it's when you're in those transition points like downsizing. And it's not just the quantitative or number crunching we do. It's the, the soft things that really help people, I think, make better use of their money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Tim, you've given
1: them an idea of where they can get it. They can go to the website and download these tips and tricks and, and the fact that they can work with a team like yours that has experienced this and can kind of relay that personal side of things. I think that's fantastic. What are we going
2: to be talking about on our next podcast? Well, one of the other transition points that we focus on is retirement or work optional dates. And clients get into that point. We do a lot of work with the state planning, making sure that the wealth ultimately will transfer to the next generation, to their favorite charities in a way that benefits them. More and more, we're finding that we're using what are called special needs trust for a number of reasons. So I wanted to cover that topic in the next podcast. People ask about it and aren't really certain what it is. But uh, I thought if we kind of dove into that deeply, that would really help people who have a need for them.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. I think that'd be fantastic. Well, Tim, I am looking forward to that next podcast. And I just want to thank all of you for listening to the Wall Street podcast with Tim Scannell today. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This will also make it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Hightower Great Lakes, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Stream podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC.